Hello everyone, this is Andre, the co-founder of Twins Tours and Travel in Jerusalem in Israel, born into a Christian Maronite family, and I'm a licensed tour guide and an ordained minister of the gospel. I have been leading numerous groups throughout the Holy Land for almost 20 years. Also, I'm an author of several books, and you can find them in Amazon. And one of the first books I wrote called One Friday in Jerusalem speaks about my life story. So join me for a journey of 10 days to understand the heart and the mind of Jesus and to understand the Bible in a deeper way with more details through the Middle Eastern perspective. Please share this podcast with your friends and families and churches and connect with me if you have any questions. Welcome back. We are in day number four. We left Nazareth village and we are arriving to Mount Precipice, the traditional mountain of the rejection of Jesus by his hometown people. And I just point from the bus on our way, we're going to see a large stadium that was built in 2009, a mass delivered by Pope Benedict Fourteenth. 40,000 attendants came to see the Mass, and many of them were tourists, but mostly locals from all over the Holy Land. And that stadium has seated this number of people. And that was a big, one of the biggest events in year 2009. And imagine 40,000 people coming to Nazareth to celebrate the Mass. Think about the number of buses there were and the, um, uh, and the small streets coming and the traffic. It was like crazy. Anyway, and in the northern slopes of this mountain, as you see, there's a lot of Jerusalem pines, stone pines and cypresses trees and carob trees and cedars grow besides all over the mountain. And most of the northern part of this mountain was planted by the Jewish National Fund. And actually, they took trees from the forest of Jerusalem and allocated them in this area. Now, the bus is arriving to the parking lot at the top of the mountain. We will go through a short hike and it's around like five minutes all the way up to the view. The path is really like paved and cement and easy to walk. And then we're going to arrive to the top. Please bring with you some jackets or like going to be a little bit windy at the top of the mountain. And hopefully we will have nice views. All the group is now at the top of the mountain and we are so blessed because it's very clear views today. And I will start uh, showing people what they see and I will start going clockwise. And I will tell everyone, look to the west all the way to the far horizon they will see a mountain ridge and look at the end of the mountain ridge you see a slope coming down and behind that slope is the city of Haifa and you see a big tower and that is the Technion the university in Haifa and continue clockwise you're gonna see the same mountain ridge this is called Mount Carmel and at Mount Carmel we know the story of prophet Elijah conquering the gods of Baal. South of Mount Carmel, we're going to see Caesarea Martina. Caesarea by the sea, built by Herod the Great. And you're going to see three huge towers. 
and it's called Urat Rabin. And these are as a small electrical station that produce electricity to the area of Caesarea. And then continue all the way to the south, you're gonna see in the far horizon three layers of mountains. Look at the far, far horizon mountain, the third layer, all the way, all the way back in the haze, you can see it. This is Nablus, which we call Shechem, or we call it in English Samaria. And there you can even see in a good day Mount Ebal. And you know, there is in the Bible two mountains in the middle of Samaria, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And in the center, the city of Nablus is built. And Mount Gerizim is where the temple stood. And you know the story of the Samaritan woman where Jesus passed from that area, Samaria, going all the way up to Jerusalem. And if you look at the ridge before it, you're going to see Mount Gelboa. And we know a famous uh, story took place there when King Saul lost the battle for the Philistines and he died with his three sons. That took place at that mountain, you see. And another story, a very famous story in the Bible, it is the area of Gideon, the spring of Gideon. And remember the story that Gideon went all the way with only 300 soldiers to fight the Midianites. And I want you to look at the ridge before it. You're going to see a ridge standing by itself. Actually, it's called a hill. And the Bible is called the Hill of Moray. And this is the location of the camp of the Midianites. So the distance between Mount Gilboa, you see, and the Hill of Moray is the area where Gideon went with his army all the way to attack the Midianites. Remember, he had a vision at night and with all the shofars and the noises, and he won the battle. And if you continue looking all the way to the east, you will see a round-shaped mountain standing aside. This is Mount Tabor. And this is where the story of Deborah the prophetess and Barak took place. And remember, Deborah told Barak to gather all the tribes of Israel and prepare for a war against the Canaanites. So the Jezreel Valley is a place of battles between all these kind of Canaanites, Moabites, uh, Midianites, uh, and the Israelites was able to win the wars. Then in the center of the Jezreel Valley, you're going to see a huge city called Afula. Afula, which is the capital of the Jezreel Valley, and today it's a very modern town. But I want to share with you a little bit about the famous saying in the scripture, do anything good come out of Nazareth. And from here, all the way, you see the Jezreel Valley and you see the Via Maris, the road of the sea. The Via Maris is a famous route that was here during Jesus' time in the first century. That is the main transportation, the main route. It was a dirt route that people came all the way from Egypt, crossed to the Holy Land, passed through Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, and Caesarea, what you see from here through the Jezreel Valley and all the way to the east to the Sea of Galilee and from the Sea of Galilee all the way up to Damascus and all the way from Damascus to Mesopotamia all the way to Iraq, Ur of the Chaldeans. And this route is an important route because civilization will pass from this route. A, ideas will pass from this route. Information will pass 
So it's very important to understand. And there were the Canaanites, the Midianites, the Moabites, all these empires passing from this road. Why? The backside of us, have a look at Nazareth. It was a very small town. The Israelites living there, not important. Maybe 300, 400 people living in the first century. Very religious and far away from the world. So nothing good come out of Nazareth. They're saying because it's very small and simple. And when all the empires passes from the same route from down the Jezreel Valley, no one cares about Nazareth. Even it's not mentioned much in the Old Testament. And it's not important. And it's tiny and important. Upside down kingdom. Today, all the empires you see and we mentioned has been destroyed. And the Israelites is controlling back here. So just think about it. Nothing good come out of Nazareth because it's a rebuked, unimportant, and weird town in the first century. No one cares about. But from that town, the Messiah came. And this will lead us to our story. How angry Jewish worshippers drove Jesus away from the synagogue, attempted to throw him off the cliff, and he disappeared before their eyes in the midst of them and we're gonna read from scripture Luke chapter 4 from verses 16 to 30 and this time I will make all the group to sit down and just because I gonna start teaching and I want them to listen and not to be distracted and of course after the teaching I gonna give them like 15 minutes to take pictures all around and group pictures and selfies from the mountain and tell them please I joke with them like do not push anyone husbands wives no pushing at this mountain and even don't go all the way back to the cliff please no pushing at all it's so tempting wives no pushing thank you so everyone will laugh and have a good atmosphere and then we all get seated down and i will start the teaching and when i start the teaching everyone will get silent because they know it's a very important teaching and he came to nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and stood up to read, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophets Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he had anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He had sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set the liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Yeah, will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself, whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. 
but I tell you of the truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Serapata, a city of Sidon, unto woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up, and thrust him out of the city, and led him unto the brow of a hill, whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. There is a very important point, which is the timing of Jesus visiting the synagogue in Nazareth, because it's very connected with the reading of the Torah and the prophets. And Luke does not specifically mention the reading of the Torah, but states, and he stood up to read. Standing up in relation to reading is found frequently in the book of the Mishnah and always refers to the reading of the Torah. So when you read Torah, you respect Torah, you stand up. But when you teach, you sit down. Whenever in the scripture it says Jesus sat down, it means teaching and preaching. When he's standing up, is reading scripture. And look what is written. The final duty of the high priest on the day of atonement was reading of the Torah. When he was given the Torah scroll, the high priest stood to receive it and read it standing. That's written in the book of the Mishnah. The reference is Yoma chapter 7 verse 1. Also another mention of reading Torah standing up for the kings. Look at this reference, another from the Mishnah. The king who read from the Torah in the temple court on the Feast of Tabernacles following each sabbatical year stood to receive the Torah scroll and read while standing up. However, it is related that during the Feast of the Tabernacles in 62 before common era, King Agrippa II stood to receive the scroll of the Torah and read while standing. Also, the king was permitted to sit while reading the Torah. Agrippa stood out of respect for the Torah, and for this he was highly praised by the sages. The center feature of any synagogue today, reading uh, during the service, reading the Torah, is to stand up. And even during the Second Temple period, it was not prayers only, but the reading of the Torah was standing up. And synagogue regulations are discussed in the book of the Mishnah in the tracte Megillah, which deals with the reading of the Torah specifically. And look what it says. Rabbi Yehuda, when describing the great synagogue in Alexandria that was destroyed during the Jewish uprising around 115 to 118 after Common Era. By the way, there were three Jewish uprisings. The first one is in Jerusalem 69 AD that the resulted in the destruction of the second temple the second uprising not many people know about it is alexandria in egypt why there because there was a big high of jewish population at that time that took place 
and lived in the synagogue of Alexandria. And remember that Joseph and Mary went all the way to Egypt and uh, they probably stayed in Alexandria because of the highest Jewish population there. Anyway, there was a second Jewish revolt there between 115 and 118 AD. And there was a third Jewish revolt by Bar Kokhva, Bar Kokhva revolt known by 135 AD. Anyway, so in the synagogue of Alexandria, they stood to read Torah. And that was during the reign of Emperor Trajan. And, and does not mention much prayer, but they mention reading of the Torah. And I'm going to read for you something from the Tosefta in the Mishnah, from Sukkah, verse 4 and 6. And he took the scroll to read. And that one, the Chazan, you know what is a Chazan? Chazan is the one who sings, okay? Waved the scarf to signal to the congregations when to say Amen to the blessing pronounced by the reader. Since the reader's voice could not reach the whole congregation, so they responded Amen. So this is another evidence. When you read Torah in the Second Temple period, you read it standing up. And that's a reference to Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was reading Torah, he stood up. And you have to understand that the evidence in Luke regarding the reading of the Torah, followed by a reading from the prophets, is the earliest reference in all literature to this custom found in the scripture. And this custom continues in synagogues until today. And the next oldest witness in this custom also comes from the New Testament, too, in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 15. It is related that Paul and his companions preach in a synagogue in Pisidenia, Antioch, after the reading from the Torah and the prophets. The Torah and the prophets were read while standing. However, the sermon or the teaching of a sage or a rabbi or a teacher was delivered while sitting. And while while sitting, because when you sit down, it's a long teaching, and it's an important teaching. So when a rabbi sit down, it means everyone have to listen, everyone have to focus, because now it's going to get very deep. And actually, when you sit down, you humble yourself as a rabbi, or as a teacher, or as a sage, and you prevail the preaching and the teaching. Even your eyes will be the same level of the eyes of your disciples. And you can become one of them and you humble yourself to go to their level. This is the situation described in every source dealing with a sermon or teaching, which also mentions the posture of the preacher or the teacher. And for example, in the Babylonian Talmud, Megillah 21a states that the teacher should not sit on a couch and teach his students who is sitting on the ground. Although rabbinical law is here concerned with the equality between the master and the disciple, it is a taken for granted that the master is teaching while seated to be in the same level of his disciples. The Talmudic source even adds, which is not the case when reading the Torah, which is always read while standing. So the fact that one was seated while teaching is alluded by Jesus also in Matthew 23, Verse 2, where the states that the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, 
Sitting in such a seat is mentioned in Romanic literature, where the seat is called the a seat of Moses. The phrase was also used for hundreds of years, and even as late as the 12th century, when we hear about the Rabbi Samuel ben Eli, one such an ancient chair from the 3rd, 4th century, was found at Chorazin near the Sea of Galilee, and actually there is a replica of that seat of Moses standing today in the synagogue, and the original one is displayed in the Israel Museum. The bottom line, no one liked what Jesus was teaching and talking about himself and saying that I am the Messiah, I am the anointed one, and here is the Messiah of Israel coming. And you're going to see people getting healed. And you're going to see this prophecy is fulfilled in me. No one liked what Jesus was saying. And they said, this is Joseph's son. No way he is the Messiah. Because everyone probably knows him. They remember him coming with his father, Joseph, to their home to fix these things. And this cannot be the Messiah. Who is he? He's the son of Joseph. He's nothing. How come he gonna be the Messiah? He grew up poor with no money. No, this is not our Messiah. So they were fell and full of wrath and they took him all the way out of the village like the scripture says and wanted to throw him out of the hell and the miracle took place. He passed through the midst of them and went away. And he was so sad because they did not recognize him. We have a geographical challenge in this story because the problem is Mount Precipice, where we are, is two miles away from the city. And the city at the time of Jesus, 2,000 years ago, Nazareth, was very small and not spread like what you see today. So this is a far distance location. And remember, we came from the Annunciation Church earlier, and the size of the Annunciation Church is the size of the town of Jesus in the first century. And if we go back to the Greek and Hebrew, it says Nazareth was built on a hill itself. And in to the left side of the Annunciation Church, modern-day Nazareth, there is a natural hill. On that hill today, there is the Maronite church built. And to make it simply, it's today the location we know is the southwest corner of the original first century town of Nazareth. And the Maronite church is built on that hill. So this Mount Precipice is only the traditional mountain and the Minister of Tourism decided to build it because there is a view all the way to the Jezreel Valley and it's nice to tell the story here, far away from the crowds and far away from downtown Nazareth. And I will arrange from advance with the worship leaders to have one or two worship songs with a guitar here on this uh, mountain because really it's very nice uh, views and it's very meaningful to worship the Lord on Mount Precipice and the group will uh, like enjoy worshiping and will be filled with joy and uh, remembering uh, victorious Jesus and seeing all the views will be great memories for them when they go back home. And after we finish worship, of course, they take more time to take 
other pictures also all around and then I'll gather them and I tell them we're gonna go through a different route we're gonna go back a bypass all the way and gonna experience part what we call the gospel trail the gospel trail is where Jesus walked from Nazareth all the way to Capernaum and the Minister of Tourism today made this walk available and made signs and tracks all way from this mountain to Capernaum and the distance is 62 kilometers which is 38 miles of course we can do it in one day but I will take them only for a 15 minutes walk through this hike and probably Jesus hiked this hike where we are going next so the Minister of Tourism developed the Gospel Trail as part of a wider economic and tourism plan promoted just to encourage more tourists to come to the land here. And don't know, have you heard about the Camino in Spain? It's also a very spiritual route that people go from one location to another location. It's very long. But the same idea of the Camino Trail, the Minister of Tourism had made in Israel, which they hope to attract more tourists and travelers to the area of Galilee and turn it into more bustling tourism area. And according to the Minister of Tourism, the Gospel Trail expected to significantly increase the number of pilgrims and tourists in Israel and attract new businesses and entrepreneurs who will provide services to those visiting and traveling along the trail by building guest houses and places for people to stay. And the Gospel Trail following the footsteps of Jesus takes a whole new meaning by following the Gospel Trail. And it makes you live what Jesus experienced and walking and the hardships is very spiritual and very deep. And we have done some several trips, like three days journeys for Jesus Trail, but not for all pilgrims, only for young students. And the teaching on the way will become very deep because they're isolated from the world for three days and they understand what does it mean following the rabbi. And the main theme of the Gospel Trail is taken from Matthew 4.13. And leaving the city of Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum on the sea coast. And this is a brilliant idea. And it's very spiritual and deep to be part of a tour of Jesus Trail. So let's go and experience only 15 minutes of it. And it's very nice views. And we continue the walk with seeing uh, Mount Tabor to the right and some villages very nice views to the valley and the hike is very like beautiful and a lot of green on the way and we continue to another lookout for the Jezreel Valley and after that we're gonna head all the way up to the bus to continue our way to the hotel to rest and after having a long day with a lot of information and a lot of knowledge to have uh, a nice meal and warm shower and end our long long day to start for another day tomorrow day number five going to explain and explore and learn about the ministry of Jesus around the Sea of Galilee I want personally to thank you for your time and for listening to the podcasts. And please, please, if you like them, share them with your friends, families, or church members and spread the word about it. This will be very helpful because so many people 
want to come to the Holy Land and they can't make it. Uh, it's expensive because of the coronavirus nowadays. And this is a virtual tour uh, to recognize and to learn and to see more the land of Israel and hear about the stories of the Bible in a virtual way. So please, please, if you like, just share it with other people and spread the word about it. And this will be a blessing to you and a blessing to me. Also, by the end of this month, I'm releasing my third book, Heading to the Holy Land, How to Prepare, Plan, and Pray for a Life-Changing Journey. This book explains about everything you need to know to bring a group to Israel. It's step-by-step -step planning for tour groups, for tour leaders, for group members, church members, pastors, day people, anyone who wants simply to plan a tour. So, if you want to bring your church or a group to the Holy Land, where do you start? What do you need to know? What must you do? And when and how? Everything explained in this book. Heading to the Holy Land lays it all out for you simply and clearly, step by step. This book equips you and your group with the practical information you need to enjoy a landmark journey of faith and heart. And it takes all sides, from the financial planning to the travel pointers to what to wear, legal things, ethical things, cultural considerations. So it will give you all the information to be ready before coming to the land and how to prepare for it. So I'm excited about this book release by the end of this month. And if you need to see or to read also my other two books that was made before, you can check it on Amazon.com. Just put you, my name, Andre Mubarak, or just uh, Google One Friday in Jerusalem. This is the first book I wrote. And the second book is only a study tour, and you need it to be a physical book if you want to have it. And this is a like a study tour about the land with a lot of information and places to fill. It's like a journal, I can tell you. But the third book that I'm excited about is how to prepare and plan to come to Israel. Thank you so much for listening. Spread the word and we'll see you later.